Hey everybody, welcome back to the Four Hauntsmen. It's yeah. episode seven, the seventh son of a seventh son. We're here today with Drew. Greetings. Nathan. Hi. And Paul. <laughs> Hello. We got a, a kind of a different type of show here today. We got a couple special guests, so we thought we'd give you a bit of a rundown of what we're looking to do. We're going to talk to Sam, who started up the Beast of Blackwood. It's a new haunt, uh, kind of like an escape room haunt experience this year in Orlando. Uh, we are going to talk to Blake Braswell. Yeah, Blake Braswell, who is a show director for Universal Orlando um, and is part of the team responsible for the street scare zones, or I guess just the scare zones, um, for this year's Halloween Horror Nights. And then we're going to go through uh, the rest of the Halloween Horror Nights news that we have missed since we haven't recorded over the last uh, week or two. Um, We have a bunch of houses to talk through, get some impressions. Um, But first, I think we're going to lead in with Sam. So we're here with Sam Fraser um, from Beast of Blackwood. Brand new experience in Orlando this year. Um, kind of a haunted trail, escape room, combination of the two, kind of taking some of the, the factors of um, 80s inspiration into the mix also. Something, you know, something really meaty and, and new and different for, uh, for the Orlando crowd. And we wanted to pick Sam's brain a minute, find out what's happening over there with uh, with what he's got going on. Get a little intro, find out about his property. What's up? So, Sam? Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so my name's Sam Frazier, and I'm the show director for Make Real. Make Real's the company that's putting on uh, Beast of Blackwood, and uh, Make Real's general goal is to bring a whole new side to the haunt industry and make it a little bit more immersive and try out new different tech pieces and just different storylines most people don't see when they're going to different haunted attractions across the country. And um, a lot of the stuff that came from Make Real was I've traveled around and I've done different haunts and seen different things and seen how different parks and all these uh, mom and pop places do it. And the thing that I always notice is that there's not really any kind of vip experience with those like they'll say they they'll advertise their rip or their exclusive thing but none of those really feel that exclusive so our whole goal was to have it to where it's just you and your friends and there's no separation between you and the performers you guys are all acting as one and you act as a unit and you act as a team so the um basically any moves that you make can affect the storyline and can change the way things will happen throughout the experience and the way you treat your performers as well will definitely change the experience overall. It's pretty interesting. So how many people are going at a time in these groups? The most we will do, what we recommend is eight per group. But if you want it to just be you and a friend or you and two, three other friends, that's fine as well. Like if you want to have a little bit more VIP and a little bit more exclusive, we're open to do that. But eight is the maximum. Wow. So actually, I have a question in regards to that. So if you only have two to four in your group, are you paired with other people or? If you requested to us and say, hey, is there any way we could possibly just do it to where it's the four of us? Then, yeah, we can definitely arrange that. But normally, yes, you will be paired with other, other people. It's the same as booking an escape room. If you um, do have it booked to where it's just you and two others, there's a chance you may be paired with another group. But uh, if you really are 
persistent on just having you and your friends, that's perfectly okay with us. As long as you feel that kind of feeling that we want. So, and I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't mean to cut you off, Kyle, but I, I, you know, I watched the trailer for it the other day. I, I know there was a, a bit of a media thing and I saw some footage from it. Um, curious about the theme. Can you tell us a little bit kind of about the theme that you, you guys are going with for the event? The theme, it's, it's kind of tough because a lot of people are comparing us to the uh, kind of Stranger Things vibe, which is okay. We're not complaining about that. But I um, heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, definitely check it out. It's a little underground thing. But um, yeah, it, we're, we're definitely getting compared to that as the whole Stranger Things side. Um, overall theme of it is you are a search party in the town of Blackwood. Blackwood is a fictional town in Virginia. And the Blackwood State Park is a well-known area. So you are going into a search party in the evening and on the hunt. And legend has it that the Beast of Blackwood lives out there. And the Beast of Blackwood kind of spans off the classic telling of children's stories where, oh, if you don't do your homework or if you disrespect your parents, the beast is going to come out of the woods. He's going to take you back. You don't want that to happen. So a lot of people don't want to believe that that's what happened to these children, but some of the characters you're going to interact with are very strong in believing that's what took them, and that's what's going on out there. So you were in search of what happened to the children, and to see if you can find them. Wow. So yeah. it, it's, pre- it's, it's pretty involved. Um, how, ma- how many folks do you have working on a given night within the cast? On a given night, there's going to be about four to five performers. Some of okay. those characters may be reoccurring throughout the experience. Some of them just may show up for a certain segment. of it. But um, with the overall experience, the way our performers were trained and when we did our rehearsals was we ran them through the storyline of what we wanted, what our expectations are, and we hit all the big points. But every character that you meet in there is individually created by each performer. They're going to add their own flair to it. They're going to add their own storylines. So each story is going to be different from one another. They're going to have something that each of them are going to bring to the table, and they're all going to have different relations to the actual kids in the experience. And um, these guys are, I honestly can't be more happy with the cast we have because they are phenomenal. And you can go out there and ask them anything you want about the experience, and I guarantee they'll have an answer for you. They know everything down to the school the kids went to, the ages, the name of the parents. It's ridiculous. Like, they are very well-versed in this whole little fictional story we've created. So it's really interesting. And it's um, pretty funny, too, to kind of crack the code with them and see if they can break that 80s vibe. If you want to bring up movies that came out past the year 1986 or even talk about the Internet or different things like that. They will, they will shut that down. They will know. <laughs> you, you really, like, I'm telling you, man, it's crazy. You cannot crack the code with them. Like, they are phenomenal. Very cool. So what what days are, is the event running? Is this a, a, an every night thing, or is it just the weekends? As of now, we're strictly running on the weekends. We're doing a uh, Friday and Saturday. And each night, it's about five time slots starting at 8, and the last one will leave around 12. Very cool. And it, it runs about an hour long, you'd say? Just about. And uh, the time can change. If the guests are having a good time, the guides are having a good time, we can add to that story to where you're going to spend a little bit more time out there. And uh, the first half of the experience, you're going to meet a very interesting character known as uh, Ranger Dave. He may have had a, quite a few to drink. And um, <laughs> the 
the kids have slipped him some money to let you into the forest, but you'll meet him. He's going to provide you with uh, some complimentary s'mores for you to take a little taste before you head in there. And you'll sit around, get to know your group, and then he'll send you on out. Wow. That's funny, yeah. dude. Pretty excited to go like right now. Well, yeah, we're ready to what, have you. <laughs> what, what happens with, uh, with, with weather? As far as weather goes, obviously with this with storms and everything coming up, we have prep for it. Uh, in that situation, we will offer rain jackets and rain boots just to provide with. So when you guys are out there, it's going to be taken care of. Um, we still will run in the rain, but if it does get to a degree where it's just unbearable, we will hold games for the evening. We'll send out an email prior to that, letting people know, hey, games have been canceled for the night. And uh, from there, we'll go to either reimbursing the cost or we'll move you guys over to an additional night. But we, our actual media night, we did two different experiences. And the uh, second experience, it was pouring and the people wanted to stay out there. And they said the lightning and the rain actually added to the effect of the story. (laughs) So where can folks find out more or, or buy tickets? What, you know, what do we have? Like, is there a ticket standard ticket price or yes, the standard ticket price is uh, $35 and that will be for each individual person. So it's 35 and on our website, which is makereal.co and on our Facebook page, you can find all the information provided and that will go as far as uh, what we recommend wearing. We do highly suggest a pair of closed toed shoes and long pants because this isn't a set you are in the woods. So, and you are in the Florida woods. So there are going to be mosquitoes and everything. Uh, bug spray will be provided before you enter. Just make sure you're all coated and ready to go. And, um, we also do recommend if you're going to come, come in style. We would love to see everybody in their eighties best. <laughs> the, and I'm out there every now and then, and I'll throw on a nice little Prince outfit for folks. So. <laughs> kind of a I, scary sight to see. Yeah. I can't unsee that now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one more question, similar to, uh, you know, in that same point, is there an age limit for this event? Uh, we do recommend ages 16 and up because sometimes there is uh, some mature language that is used. Mm-hmm. But past that, we, if you would like to bring a family along, you can. I know we had a couple people come out and their reviews said they were comfortable bringing their children the experience. So um, as far as we go, we do recommend 16, ages 16 and up. And if they are under the age of 18, they do have to come with an adult. But besides that, we if you feel like your kids are ready for it, if they can handle Strangers Things, they can definitely handle this. Awesome. Um, it, it sounds phenomenal. And I think, you know, at least folks that listen to this podcast or they watch, you know, the, the Cheap Seats YouTube stuff, we talk all the time about things being oversold or too crowded and conga lines at, at events and things like that. And this is the this is the the furthest opposite that you can get, you know, with the smaller groups. So I'm really looking forward to yeah. checking it and out. Yeah, that's definitely our whole thing too, is because um, almost every single person on the team either has some kind of scaring background or experience in the haunt industry. So we all know how that feels. Especially it sucks when you're going through a house or a maze and the four people in front of you get the scare and then they have to reset it so you completely miss it. The way this is set up, everybody there is going to get the scare. Everyone is going to feel that experience. And to build on that, this is a very sense-friendly experience, which is kind of hard to say because there are going to be smells. There will be things to touch. There will be things to see, to hear, and even taste. 
So there will be certain things along the way that you will get to nibble on. Nothing too bad. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I, 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 I wish you the best. I mean, it sounds like, you know, Thank this you. is a no-brainer if you're in Orlando and, you know, there's, there's different haunt options to have. I mean, I, I, I'd put this at the top, you know, for just the sheer selling point of it being more of a personalized experience and i think it ties into it hits on a lot of different things the 80s experience and you know kind of the escape room experience and you know figuring stuff out so sounds awesome sounds killer man thanks so if you guys want to hear if you guys want to check out more check out makereal.co website or go to the Facebook page. We'll link both in the show notes on uh, iTunes as well as in the YouTube version of our podcast. So thank you very much, Sam. Thanks for coming thank along. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. So next on the mics, we have Blake Braswell, who is a show director at Universal Studios Orlando, currently working on Halloween Horror Nights 27, due to start next week as of the time we're recording this. Blake, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do? What's your job? Um, so uh, I am a show director with uh, the creative development team, which uh, means I work under Mike Aiello. Uh, you guys might have heard his name. Um, <laughs> Once or twice. Um, and so I, uh, I work under him. And uh, basically my job is to create the ideas and concepts for the scare zones for Halloween Horror Nights. I actually started last year was my first year. Laura Wallace, now Laura Sauls, actually was the show director. So she'd started the concepts, and then uh, she got pulled to a new project. So I had come on as her assistant show director last year for about three days. And then <laughs> they, I, 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 uh, I came in in the morning, and, and I got pulled into the office, and they were like, hey, you're show director now if you want it. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Yeah, I said, wow, I, I've got a lot to learn very fast. Um, so last year was a lot of fun because – the initial concepts had already sort of been created and I joined in uh, beginning of July. And so then I sort of shepherded in uh, Laura's vision and then adding my own flavor on top of it. And then this year has been a blast because it's been me from the beginning. Uh, so it was a nice transition uh, into the team that way by sort of uh, uh, instead of just jumping into the deep end completely, I jumped into the deep end with like you know some some squishy water arms, and then now this year uh, I'm I'm out of my own swimming out there. So with you know with the title being show director, is it just scare zones, or are you responsible for the actual shows as well? Um, so shows that occur tied into the scare zones. Uh, gotcha. Like for example, like last year, uh, you know, Chance had a stage, right, and she had a show up there. It was, she was on mic. I was responsible for that sort of thing. Um, so any of the stuff that ties into it, if we're, if we're talking to shows like Academy of Villains, uh, that's a, uh, another gentleman takes care of that. And then, of course, Bill and Ted, uh, uh, another guy uh, named uh, Jason uh, Horn that takes care of, of, of Bill and Ted. So I am strictly the scare zone. It's kind of it, it's interesting um, because I've worked elsewhere in this sort of uh, creative development uh, field, but not in Orlando. Uh, I had done this elsewhere up in, uh, I used to work up in Pennsylvania. I ran like a, uh, an immersive theater program that did like an Edgar Allan Poe series in an old Victorian mansion. And we like, we did some really fun stuff up there. Um, so 
I had worked with plenty of teams up there, so this was this was sort of new to me. And and where I'd worked prior was uh, a much a similar job, but on a smaller scale. Obviously, not the size of Universal. So this was cool because this is so specialized. You know, Patrick Braylord's got these shows that he's taking care of between AOV or the Academy Villains, and then you've got uh, Jason tackling Bill and Ted. Charles Gray is tackling the houses, and then here I am uh, tackling the scare zones. And of course, we're all we all help each other out. Um, last year, there was some physical violence in Bill and Ted, so Jason brought me in to help out do some fight choreography for that. Um, so we, we always help each other out, but it is cool. Everybody's very specialized in their in their little compartments. Cool. It was, so is last year your first year at the event altogether, or had you been a, a, as a guest? I had past? been I had been as a guest. Uh, I guess long story short, I had lived here from like 03 to 2000. Yeah, two, 03 to 07. And then I uh, working in theater mostly. And then I moved it to Pennsylvania. And that's where I was working as a show director and writer up there. Um, and so then I had visited as a guest during that time. Uh, and then, I th- in fact, I think it was the, the last time I had gone before I moved back here in 2012 was the year that it was a cross between Universal Studios and IOA. It was, you know, it was the last year that was on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when I came back, I started, uh, I started working at Universal uh, as a performer and then came on as a performance uh, coordinator in, in HHN 25. So my first experience behind the scenes was the 25th anniversary, which that was like, <laughs> what a what a way to walk into the event. Um, and that year, my responsibilities were uh, coaching the performers uh, down the, you know, the icon street that they had in yeah. Hollywood. Yep. Uh, and then I had Central Park uh, as well as the San Francisco all night uh, die in area. So that was my first experience behind the scenes with the event. Wow, yeah, I'm still I, I gush over the stuff at 25 still with the the uh, with the icon zone. But I think you're kind of doing something similar to that this year with the altars of horror, right? Yeah, I mean it'll be uh, it's a different vibe. Uh, this was this was I'm excited about this because uh, we have such cool stuff in the house that you want to spend more time with, but you know, obviously the nature of how the houses work, you're, you're, you know, you're moving through those houses. Um, and so you can't, you can't necessarily stop and admire the work that these awesome, uh, costume designers, makeup designers stuff do. So I wanted to create kind of a table of contents for the event. If that were, if that makes sense. Uh, so that's what the altars of horror is, is sort of an ability to pull all those different, uh, stories from the houses out onto the street so you can see some of these uh, characters up close and personal that that you might not otherwise uh, going through the house. Now, I know you're probably limited in what you can talk about now, and we're probably releasing this episode early next week. Um, But are we talking IP characters or uh, just the original property characters that we may see in the Altars of Horror Scare Zone? First off, you are awesome for giving me that out. (laughs) 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 Not, Not... Everybody understands that, but there's a ton of NDAs we signed. But uh, no, I can totally answer this. This is this is sort of a table of contents for the uh, intellectual properties that are being done throughout the park. So that that is how that what the altars of horror um, scare zone will be. Very cool. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's good news. Yeah. Can, can we can we get like a grunt or a, or a moment of silence if we we. <laughs> We've kind of had this uh, inside joke going for like the last two or three years among the, the group of, of folks here about um, Bagul from Sinister. Um, you know, kind of looks like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the band Slipknot at all, um, but looks very similar to Mick Thompson from Slipknot. Oh, I could totally That's- see that. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we like um, we we started teasing this like you know probably was it twenty four? I think I think it was Horror Nights twenty five. We we made a joke about how to you know like I could see why some people might say like Sinister and Insidious are kind of similar in their style, you know. So and then mix in the fact that he looks like one of the guys from Slipknot, Bagul, and it was just kind of like a hilarious like. Like I started confusing myself thinking about which one was which. <laughs> so we started the tagline, like the hashtag, like "Oh, Bagul, you've done it again." <laughs> like the old, old Mister Magoo, but, you know, Mister Magoo. Uh, now yeah. I want a Mister. Ma- now I want a Mister Magoo house or Mister <laughs> Mister Bagul. <laughs> so you have at least four captive folks here on on the line that we are really crossing our fingers that. He'd make an appearance. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know. I don't know at this point. I think I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> and I just was really excited. I could actually use that phrase in, in a conversation. <laughs> well, since we're already like uh, knee deep on the scare zone talk, and we'll, we'll, we'll hop back to a couple of other things. Um, what can you tell us about Festival of the Deadliest? Um, that that you know we that that is a, a scare zone that is also the theme of the event. Um, and you, I think there's a lot of mystery around it, right? They've shown some uh, some concept art, and it's been announced that it is the theme of the event. But I think um, I think there's still a lot of I, I, I'm saying mystery, yeah. But ultimately, is there anything you can tell us in regards to what that that scare zone represents, what it looks like, that kind of thing? Yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So for for Festival of the Deadliest, it is. Uh, yeah, kind of as you mentioned, it is sort of like an overall aesthetic in terms of uh, the look you've seen in terms of uh, uh, the border surrounding uh, some of the IP announcements that have made. You know, you've seen like the the candles and the skull and the the bone work, that kind of thing. Um, so that is like an a, a de- an overall aesthetic to it. But the festival of the deadliest story, uh, in particular, you have this otherworldly underworld like sort of. Of, of festival that is happening of the deadliest and here in our world we've been celebrating horror and mayhem and fear uh, year after year at halloween horror nights and this festival has crept closer and closer and closer to erupting onto the scene as there's so much um i don't i'm trying to think of what the word is there but the the energy created by the sort of the horror and fear and until they erupt their festival of the deadliest here at universal and the idea is at the distance you've got this beautiful uh, sort of candlelight almost look. Uh, there looks like there there could be dancing. Uh, it's so alluring. And then when you get in it, you are trapped in the horror. And everything that was so beautiful at a distance, when you get close, you realize is completely horrific looking. Uh, and so that's that's sort of the main springboard for that zone was almost like a fly trap for people, something that looked appealing. And then once you got in, you realized your, your number is up and it does, it does have a lot of that. Uh, the look that you've seen on, on some of the artwork, it's the ossuary, the, the bone work, the candles, uh, that sort of make this under the look of almost like this underground thing that has come up onto our land. A lot of robes flowing, pieces of fabric it'd be a, i hope it's a very cool uh aesthetic when everybody gets to see this for lack of a better term this party it's like this big party that you see and then as you get in it like i said you see the gnarliness you see the horror you see the grossness of what's actually meeting you face to face very cool yeah it kind of sets the tone that that scare zone is always like you know a, a, 
I know a lot of people talk about the New York zone because it's you know tends to take up some of the biggest real estate, but I think that that first zone kind of really sets the tone for what you're expecting through the rest of the event. So it sounds well, yeah. I mean, when you walk, cool. it's the first thing. It's the first thing you see, and 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 part of this zone too is a uh, sort of timelessness we're going for with this. Um, because I know a lot of the candle work, the bone that almost kind of alludes to like, I don't know, your brain, it first starts to go to like some like kind of medieval cult or something, but we're kind of trying to pull pieces from, from looks through the makeup design and costume that sort of evoke, uh, this has been going on for all time. So it's like bits and pieces from, from, from all time carried through, or maybe a modern look, uh, at something that the uh, I, this is a bad example because this doesn't exist. But like, what would be a good example? Like, I don't even think like a monk's robe or something. But you 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 did like a more modern, I guess, fashion forward. That's a weird way to say it. <laughs> the fashion forward death monk, um, uh, which, which is I'm telling you is not an actual character that exists. But now that I've said it aloud, Confirmed. it may need yeah. to be like because uh, I like the idea of a fashion forward death monk. Um, but yeah, so that it's got you 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 would see the silhouette and go, oh, this looks like something old and familiar. And then when you see it, you're like, oh no, it's got this modern sort of dangerous look to it. it has That's a so it's. Yeah, it's so weird. I know. I like I you're like trying to sit there and talk about uh, 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 like the sort of images and stuff you've been dragging up to create all this stuff. And I, I mean, the fortunate side is I can have these conversations with our awesome costume and scenic designers and they they totally get what my brain is trying to spin out, which is always the light when you actually see the designs and you see the stuff built. and You go, oh, I mean, I don't know how you got that from everything. I just word vomited out to you. But that is it. That is. That's totally it. So we talked about two of them, Festival of the Deadliest, and um, wow, how am I blanking on the, the altars of about. horror? The altars of, of horror. horror. So what what went into to choosing the scare zone themes this year? And then you know we've got so the, the three we haven't talked about are trick or treat, the purge, Drew, an invasion, invasion, an invasion, invasion. I live in Virginia, so um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't always. Uh, You've lived uh, vicariously through our I, pictures. I live, yeah, online, I live vicariously through social media. <laughs> um, so you know what went into to choosing the, the, those other three? Obviously, Festival of the Deadliest being the theme, Altars of Horror, the concept there being bringing some of those IP characters out onto the streets. Um, as far as the selection of the other three, what what kind of went into the thought process behind choosing those? So ev- everything actually that that little element I mentioned for Festival of the Deadliest that's like oh at a distance this looks alluring or 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 I understand it is one thing but once I get in it I find out it's something terrible in a way all the zones have a little bit of that going along with it um, for example uh, the purge um, for the people that live in the purge the idea seems like a great idea uh, and we realize once you get into it it's it's horrible um, and this was a lot of fun. Because we weren't sticking with one of the films, we kind of have um, we kind of had rain to take to take elements from all three of the films, and and I'm using uh, iconic characters from that. But then we were able to create our own version of what would happen in the Purge uh, in New York. So uh, we've got some fun these little uh, Purge stages that we've created. Um, my little my little because I said what happens when the like when the Purge movie happens. You know the movies always end when the purge finishes. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens in the hours following? I was like, like the murder and mayhem that's out on the streets. So that's where this cleanup crew idea came up with, where this guy's got this car that he's welded a steel cage to with a wood chipper, 
uh, on that thing so he can start collecting the people as they come through and making some fertilizer as he goes along. Um, but so we were kind of able to go and have a, have a, a ton of fun with that. Um, obviously I, I would hope most people that watch the purge don't think that's a good idea, but for the people <laughs> in the purge, they think the purge is a good idea. And then in, in, when you're really stuck in the middle of it, it's horrible. Um, I, and I would say, uh, the way that applies to invasion, um, which this was, uh, I, I have to say, I am so excited that we're doing this one. Uh, this idea of an alien invasion thing, it, it kind of popped into my brain during last year's run. Um, and I, I didn't want to let it go. I grew up, I mean, I, I love science fiction. If it's a terrible science fiction movie, I, it's like pizza. I'm still going to eat it, even if it's bad pizza. I'm going to watch that science fiction film. Um, so to, to be, a, and, and for me as a kid, nothing scared me more uh, than the original alien film. So my, my love of horror springs directly from, I went from the original alien film to like the original Halloween. If I draw my lineage of, of favorite horror films as a, as a young kid. Um, so to be able to kind of do this fun throwback, uh, cause last year vamp 55 was a blast over on Hollywood. Yeah. We had a ton of fun with that. Um, so I wanted to do something again that had a period feel to it. Uh, so the the alien thing made sense to me. We were trying to get a time period that we liked, and we kind of settled on this sort of uh, late '60s time uh, period. Um, you like you know before the special effects get good, um, <laughs> and and I just knew like it's got to be a crashed ship because uh, last year uh, Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, I adored that zone. The scenic elements of the crash sh- of the, the the boat, the ship, and the way that the uh, fishermen looked were, were awesome. I, I loved that zone. Um, any picture or shot someone took of it, they just it all looked beautiful. So I wanted to be able to make sure that we did it just as well and better. Uh, so if you're going to do cool creatures, I thought the step up would be to go do these aliens. Have a crashed spaceship that's actually there over in San Francisco. Uh, and if you've seen the pictures that are floating around, or if any had a chance to go float by, we've got uh, a troop transport from uh, that was the the style was used through 1974, so it's like appropriate to the period. Um, and I had some fun in this zone. Here, the Easter egg I'll give folks for this zone is uh, there's a crash car, there's a military vehicle. The crash car has got a terrestrial, you know, radio station that's left on playing. <laughs> and if you hang out from time to time, you'll hear news uh, bulletins break in. And if you hang out in the zone by that car, you'll start to piece together parts of the story. Um, and then the same thing with our military vehicle. We've got uh, uh, another uh, system in there that's playing like uh, like uh, calls coming in from the 49th Infantry Brigade. And you kind of get the idea of this group that's having a battle nearby and you start to get the idea as it goes of what's happening uh, in the story. Uh, so I, I, I love immersive storytelling and San Francisco is such a tight zone yeah. that it, it's yeah. cool because you can transform it so much. Um, and so I hope uh, the fans of HHN that do like to stick around and hang out in the zones, you know, these little things like the radios layering in the story and stuff will, will be that little, little extra icing on the cake. So you get more of the the story because people invented amazing ideas for night uh, vamp 55 because it just, it, I don't know, it evoked something in them. They wanted to know more pieces of the story. So I said, we do something like this. I want to get more elements of the story. in. so we've got uh, these, what I call the grays, 
but I what I said was if 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 the idea of the gray is you know the, the stereotypical idea that we all have the you know little the squished head with the big black eyes the is if that's what you see because you're groggy waking up on the experiment table and that's what you go and sketch out at home if you were clear minded and saw what they really looked like it would be worse so these are like the horror version of the grays if that makes sense um and uh we actually have a, a few races running around there. We've got alien scientists that look completely different that are experimenting on uh, victims that are running around. Uh, and then we've got uh, a bu- uh, brute aliens that are trucking around out there who have a bit more size and, and power to them. So that, that place for the size that San Francisco actually is, we have packed it full of tons of story. Um, but the reason that it also applies to the whole Festival of the Deadly is this looks cool from the outside. You get inside and you realize you're in trouble. Invasion at the distance with its uh, absolutely theremin-packed soundtrack. I have so much theremin in there, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so as you approach and you hear the woo, and you've got um, the the fog with sort of like the lasers passing through as if they're scanning and stuff, it's gonna. you'll see the crash ship. You will see... Like a cheesy sci-fi film that looks so much fun. And then when you get inside, you actually see the reality of the horror that's going on inside everybody, the experiment. So everything's kind of still got that, that like uh, there's, a, there's a view you see at a distance, and then there's what's inside uh, once you get there. Um, and I think that leaves us with what? Central Park? Yeah, man. Sure, the, yep. Yep. But yeah. can I can I just say, love, look for invasion. I mean, I'm I'm ready to fast forward. I wish there was a DeLorean here. Yeah, dude. To, that, to I go. mean, that literally <laughs> sounds like a measles. Like that, it really does. I think for the community, you know, the the, the hardcore HHN community, like everyone's wondering, like, is it is it more cheesy or you know, is it is it, a, you know. Was it Attack from Mars or Mar- Mars Attacks type <laughs> aliens or you know is it is it like the fun guys? I mean and now I mean you know oh my god I can't I, I can't wait. Yeah I get, yeah the answer is like yes at a distance <laughs> it will be like look at that cheesy little and you get up and you're like oh that's awful like what did you do to that body like what's it? yeah I mean that's 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 definitely the idea and I will say it was the thing that when I went to go pitch here are my ideas for Halloween. I'm look, I have worked in collaborative entertainment for years. I'm used to here's 20 ideas and 19 of them change, whatever. It's it's just how it works when you do collaborative uh, work like this. Um, But that was the one that I was like, Blake, don't get too attached. Don't get too attached because I really liked this idea. (laughs) And so when I got the go ahead, uh, cloud nine from the the whole time, I've just been so excited uh, to to get this one in because this really is like that's a complete slice of me sitting out on that street in terms of to be doing a horror cheesy sci-fi you know themed zone that that's blake in a nutshell done that's that's me (laughs) how many uh do you usually pitch um gosh i you know it's i'm trying to think of how many it was this year it kind of i guess it really varies because in the official pitch, the ones that you guys are have all seen that we're doing, th- that was the uh, initial pitch. In the sense that there was also the final pitch. Up until that point, I had been working hand in hand with Mike, uh, throwing out different ideas, throwing out different ideas, and going, "Oh, let's 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 pr- why don't you pursue this one more or pursue that one more." So by the time it actually got to our final pitch uh, to get things uh, checked off by by the big guys up top, really at that point. It was just the the zones that you, that you see now that we're doing. 
Um, so there's a lot of like kind of uh, molding ideas as you as you go along uh, to get to it. And it can it can vary so wildly. Sometimes certain years, um, you know, you may know, well, you know, the year that they were going to do uh, The Walking Dead, you know, and that was like the entirety of, of the zones and stuff. So there's a lot of answers that have already or questions that have already been answered for you in that case. So it really varies from year to year. Uh, the fun thing is uh, stuff that doesn't get used. You, you, you file that stuff away and that's that's for later, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to, to put into other stuff. How, how early on do you usually uh, pitch all these? This year, we started work on, on the scare zone side of things really hard uh, in January uh, and then moved into, I think, final approvals by mid-February, somewhere in, somewhere in mid-February, so we could go ahead and get on the ball and, and get the designers in and start designing uh, in a hardcore fashion all the elements that would be throughout the scare zones. What's like the usual? I mean, are you given like an overall budget or per scare zone budget? Um, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of it, there. It's a, there's an overall that applies to the scare zones, um, and uh, they kind of sp- split them up because typically uh, there are questions you can kind of go ahead and 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 say yes to in terms of why that budget would live at New York and not at San Francisco, for example, in New York. You got room to have way more characters than you do in San Fran, right? So, you know the the team member budget over there is going to be higher in that kind of thing. Oh, cool! Yeah. So Central Park, trick or treat. Yep, and and to me this this also checks off that mark of really cool the distance horror up close. Um, I I am super stoked about this one as well because. I don't know how you all felt the first time you saw Trick or Treat, but for me, that also was the like piece of childhood. I was like, where this movie? I feel like I've seen since I was five. But what it came out two thousand seven, two thousand eight, somewhere in there. I, I think like um, two thousand eight or so. Yeah, yeah. It it's just that perfect like Halloween classic anthology that's sort of it's humorous, it's gory, it's scary, it's fun. Um, and I and I think and to me that's something that's cool too. Um, instead of just looking at everything as scare, 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 uh, s- stories like Trick or Treat lend themselves to being both scary and fun. We kind of ride that line in between. Um, and Central Park's great because while typically something like Trick or Treat might, you know, you might think it would be done in a house, it looks great in Central Park. I don't know if anybody has had a chance to float through there yet, but it it looks great. And it's kind of like a, I guess, a fever dream of the story of Trick or Treat. So instead of like, you you know, if you walk through a house, you would see like the first scene in the film and then you would start, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. chronologically kind of tell the story together. So this one, it's kind of all laid out there uh, for you. We've got these facades of different houses uh, where the trick or treating takes place and, uh, each set, it's 20 characters from the film uh, will be out there um, wow. roaming around on the streets. And, of course, Sam is everywhere. Uh, and I'm so excited about that. <laughs> the first time I got to see, uh, as we were putting you know, all the, the, the tests together for costumes and stuff, Sam just knocked on my office door, and I was so happy. <laughs> that, was one of the, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um so I'm I'm very very stoked to have to 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 be able to do Trick or Treat. Um, it's such a cool such a cool film. Um, and gosh, man, that director uh, Michael Doherty, he is he is busy dude right now working on uh, Godzilla two. 
Um, so I, I appreciate them answering all of our emails while they're busy working on, <laughs> on new projects. I, I think oh, you yeah. may have let a spoiler go there, uh, Blake, though. Is, does that mean that there's a roaming Sam also? Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Oh, man, there's no way I'm going to have a zone and you're not going to have Sam encounters. That's happening. <laughs> what about you, Anna Paquin? You'll come face, <laughs> to face, face to face with Sam and uh, and uh, Anna Paquin's taking some time off. Of work. No, that's not true at all. Not true at all. <laughs> but... Uh, well, but we will. Uh, I definitely think that you will see some uh, some werewolf princesses out there. Wow, I do. I have a question though. It, it's it's a little left field. So going through the the trick or treat zone now, you know, daytime type viewing um, before everything kind of gets covered up for the weekend. Um, the one thing that that's hard not to notice if you're looking at detail is just the the faces on the jack o' lanterns. And I, you know, we did a, a video for our YouTube channel separate project but um kind of talk through the fact of like there, there's so many different faces you know yeah it, and they are actually i don't think anything repeats when it's all said and done and that was kind of the question like is are, is like art and design actually making those themselves or you know 450 hand carved pumpkins man <laughs> it was holy cow yeah it, th- to be honest uh the coolest stuff a lot of times is the is the simplest stuff but man, it was also that was labor intensive to get that all done. Um, the folks that actually worked on those pumpkins, uh, they brought a bunch of people into the warehouse. Uh, I was told and they literally laid out all these pumpkins to carve and on a big screen put on trick or treat and hung out together and watched trick or treat as they invited, you know, their friends and family and stuff over and carved a ton of pumpkins for the event. But four hundred and fifty hand carved pumpkins man it's a bunch and each individually lit wow so you know you add you add that work on top of it as well yeah i think if you know i there, i think there's a certain level of fan besides the casual people that obviously go to the event but, you know and I think when you think like next level probably all four of us are not that that bucket i know we are you know and you start looking at that detail and that was the first thing that jumped out at me you know and you start looking at everything i was like wow you know i i can't see any that are duplicative of the others and just how much time goes into stuff like that. It's, it's, it's really mind blowing. It's awesome. Yeah. When I first went in, I, I was trying to find stuff that repeated. And then I asked, you know, well, how many, how many versions do you have? Like, did you actually create like 20 or 30 different? Like, no, there are 450 different. (laughs) Oh, wow. Like, yeah, (laughs) that, 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 that blew my mind. But yeah, that kind of level of detail and stuff. I mean, I think that's. I mean, to it's like if you're a big horror fan, I would be shocked if you aren't also like a a, a big uh, special effects and practical effect fan and a model fan and a scenic fan because those are the things that make every film we've ever watched come to life. You know, whether where it is like the hallways and Alien or you know the the Mr. Krieg's house and Trick or Treat, right? Um, so to me, it's I I, I love of it. And when I came here as a fan uh, in the, in the early two thousands, um, th- that attention to detail that's what sucked me into the whole thing uh, completely. I couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, it's 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 next level. Sometimes it's it's just really. It's, oh, I pinch I pinch myself. I literally have the coolest job right now. I like I could not be happier. I love that they they like me. And they included me in the fold <laughs> rather quickly. 
Uh, and I, I mean, just on a personal level, the whole team is, we've all, we are all literally very good friends. Um, and, uh, and then artistically there, I have learned so much from all of them. Um, I, boy, yeah, I count myself extremely lucky. My worst day is still a pretty freaking awesome day when it's all said and done. (laughs) When I'm going, man, how do I, what color should the eye socket orbital ridges of these aliens be like if that's your problem that's awesome that's a good day how did you uh end end up there i started doing theater right at the very end of my high school career um and then chose to go uh into college and studied theater uh and directing there and one of my first gigs took me up to pennsylvania and, and i worked at an immersive uh theatrical venue up there uh, I also did some uh, a bunch of uh, fight work and stuff. And the guy who was the fight coordinator actually was uh, uh, from Orlando. He he ran a, a work with a company called Orlando Special Effects, and he had his own stunt company uh, called uh, KFX. And I, I came down here to kind of work with him. And and really on the directing front, I grew a lot out because if you're you know if you're 22, 23 out of college, it's very hard to get a directing gig theatrically. But in the fight world, not many people have the skill set knowledge for stage combat and the stunt coordination and fight coordination. So I got a foot in the door leadership wise at different theaters and stuff doing fight work. Um, and so that, that's really how I cut my teeth uh, coaching and working with people. Cause, because most people and, and actors you work with didn't come with a, a background in fights. So you weren't just choreographing something. You were literally teaching them how to do it at the same time. Um, so that's really where I got a, a big start in terms of uh, directing. Um, and I've done a lot of, a lot of fun stuff around here. Uh, went out and did a, a stunt show out in Japan. Uh, that was a ton of fun for a little while. Um, and got to study actual samurai sword work from a guy whose grandfather was a samurai. It was the coolest thing ever. Um, did that in 2004, it's 2004 to five. Uh, and then, and then when I came back down uh, to Orlando for a little bit, uh, the theater I'd worked at as a performer uh, up in Pennsylvania, I, I went back to go work for them, but this time as a show writer and director, uh, and then and then became assistant show director over there, or and then became uh, the artistic director of the overall play, and that's what I was doing until I moved back to Orlando in 2012, um, and I worked here um, doing some performance. Uh, and then, and then, like I said, uh, in, in 25, got to go behind the scenes as a, as a performance coach or performance coordinator. Uh, and that's how I worked my way uh, into the show direction team. Now, that's a very long story short, but that's, that, <laughs> that, is the, that is the path. Um, I always say, like, I would get frustrated because uh, you, I always feel like a jack of all trades, master of none. And that used to make me kind of crazy because I wanted to be better at, at – you, I wouldn't be like a master at someone who I would admired that was say a scriptwriter or this or that. Um, but then you kind of learned that actually show direction, it is better or it can be advantageous to be that Jack of all trades because I, uh, am not a lighting designer, but because I have worked in it just enough, I know how to talk to someone who is, or, uh, I am not a special effects coordinator, but I have worked as a wire monkey putting together, uh, stuff for both TV film and, and theater so that I can, I can talk to them, you know, and we uh, and um, we can we can speak the same language. And when it comes to bringing all this stuff to life, so so that jack of all trades thing pays off later. Even though sometimes it does make me a little crazy. Blake, I have a very important question to ask you. This is something that whenever someone like Mike Aiello or John Murdy or anyone does a Twitter Q and A, it's something I always ask until I get an answer. 
and that's waffles or pancakes. Uh, here's the problem, dude. I'm from North Carolina. It's 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 biscuits with shot sausage and gravy, man. Uh, I'll, I'll accept I mean, that as a regional answer. That's my. But but if I'm but if I'm forced to it, it's pancakes. But if I've got an option, it's going to be the biscuits and, and sausage gravy, man. I, I respect that answer. Yeah. Actually, to be option. very to be very specific, I have found this awesome maple syrup that has been aged in bourbon barrels. So the pancakes with that bourbon syrup, yes, that is all day long. I highly That's recommend awesome. it. Does does that mean you bring your own syrup to like Cracker Barrel? I bust into Bob Evans and Cracker Barrel with my own my own yeah. bourbon barrel <laughs> aged <laughs> maple syrup. Pour some on the pancakes. Take some directly out of the bottle. Takes a swig. Yep, exactly. He's just like like a moonshine jug. He's like getting that up. So. Have you always loved horror or, you know, it's, it's it, like you, you've mentioned, you know, your the, theatrical background, fight coordination, uh, that co- kind of thing. But, um, you know, not, obviously you being involved in horror now, has, the, has that always been an interest of yours or is it more the theatrical piece than the horror piece? It's I mean, I got as a kid. See, it's funny. My mom, I go, it's so weird, right? I did like one little play at the very end of my senior year of high school. And I decided then to go into theater. Um, she's like, no, 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 you you've been doing this your whole life. You just didn't know that's what you were doing. She was like, you'd sit in the backyard and like you would play GI Joe with your sister, but you'd be like, no, no, no. Lady J wouldn't say that she would behave like this. (laughs) And I would sort of like coach her through it. So apparently the theater stuff I've actually kind of been doing in some form or fashion, uh, the whole time. Uh, but I have uh, story has just uh, storytelling has always fascinated me. And when people ask, like, well, what do you do though? But you you do this at HHM. You also do some fight direction. I'm like, I'm a storyteller. That, that's at the end of the day, that that is what I do. And as a kid, uh, there was something about things that scared me that I would run away from as a really little kid that just scared me to death. But I couldn't help but creep back in. So I was that kid that would. Uh, freak out at something that was on the screen and I'd run away out of the room. But then if you looked behind you, my, I was peeking around the corner and still watching it. And I was absolutely, I don't just drawn by the emotion that evokes in you, you know, and uh, you know, I, and you can it, it, studying theater and stuff, it, you know, I, I, you get older, you find you have, you have new life experiences. Uh, so, something resonates with you that wouldn't have resonated with you as a kid, but kid, Happiness, joy, and fear, like those are things that like they're on the base level you really, really understand. And so anything that could evoke that kind of power, I was just drawn to. Uh, I've mentioned Alien a couple times. It really is was my entrance into horror. Uh, my uncle was 10 years older than me, so he, he was like the older brother I, didn't, I never had. And he had that original uh, like foot-tall uh, Geiger alien toy that would sit on his shelf. And when I would go to my grandparents to visit him and I would walk up the stairs, it, this is so weird, but I, I'm, I don't know. I'm like four or five. I'm too young to, I think, remember this, this vividly. But I just remember that when you'd walk up the steps, you would see the dome of the Geiger alien head first. And that one was where they had it clear. And you could see like the skull underneath. Uh, and it freaked me out every time I would go up into his room. And I remember when, you know, at one time he's like, do you, you want to watch this, you know? Pop and grandma are gone. I'm babysitting. Your mom's not around. And I loved it. Uh, my dad is also responsible because I'm like around the same age and 
mom is, is has gone out of town for work and uh my dad's like hey you want to go 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 rent a movie yes i do you want to rent a rated r movie yes i do <laughs> <laughs> and and so i don't know like what i'm in like five or six what should i get um and so as i'm traipsing around uh i see a box and it just says halloween and i figure well that is classic so what a name so i guess if we're going to watch a rated R scary movie, why not do something called Halloween? I had no idea that, you know, what I what I was getting into. Uh, and that really is like my horror lineage. And from that, it was because my uncle was into like, I wish I could remember all the names of this stuff. But like those weird anthology movies with uh, that sometimes Vincent Price would narrate the weird ones where you'd have like a magician who was cutting like someone in half. But it was like for real. And there's gore everywhere. Um, the Fright Night kind of stuff, like, but it just the crazy collection of weird horror that now you you kind of have to. Well, I guess the internet helps. You can you can sometimes scrounge up and find a lot of that old stuff. Um, but I was totally fascinated with all all the horror and especially the gore elements. So we would try to figure out how to make fake blood and look like we were cutting you know arms off and stuff. And then for fun, what what, what my uncle and I would do. If, so he's like, what I. Uh, night or like 18 19 i'm like eight or nine we would get like weird costumes because we lived out in the boonies in north carolina so we was next to the woods boy see when i said that how thick my southern accent got just then? <laughs> um, but uh like one of the things we do for fun was literally i'm gonna put this costume on but first i'm gonna go run out into the woods and you just walk through the woods this way and i'll see if i can sneak up on you and freak you out and so we would literally figure out ways that you would intentionally see the other person, but try to move not like a human and move like a creature. Anybody listening right now thinks my childhood is totally weird, but that is the that is the crap that we would do trying to freak each other out and scare each other um, when we weren't dressed up like ninjas running through the woods with swords. There's that too. But <laughs> I, I had a I had a wealth of people that very much supported my imagination as a child, and it's it's showing. I mean, we can tell your 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 excitement about the event, your excitement about the scare zones that you're working on. Uh, I think we have one scare, one more scare zone related question, um, which is, have you guys ever considered or have, or would you ever consider having, um, you know, we've seen this in, in other large, uh, you know, amusement park themed haunts and that kind of thing. Um, having fans either suggest a zone or a vote type thing to, to get that community, those hardcore fans, or even, um, the non-hardcore fans more invested in, in helping create or, you know, in being invested in creating the event. Oh, I mean that kind of like, especially in this world of social media where it's easy, easier to chip in and, and share ideas. Uh, I mean, obviously I don't work in PR and marketing, but I, I can't imagine. Um, well, the, the short answer is like, there's never, no, there's never a never answer. Uh, so for one thing, it's you always assume the positive with this because whatever you assume, if we say, ah, for years we've just decided this, you know, five years from now, who knows what we may decide we want to do. Uh, that kind of stuff sounds like a ton of fun. Does, has anybody like not spare anybody on stuff like that? I know, um, for example, locally, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. I, I so I live in in the uh, in Virginia. Bush Gardens, Williamsburg has done some fan voting, naming. I think I don't know if not scary, but I know uh, I, I know I read some park did you know name the scare zone, name the haunted house. I think that may have been Kings Dominion, which is also here in Virginia. I think, um, but um, Bush Gardens, Tampa, recently did that too for one of their zones. 
Oh, did they? Was, sure. it, was it from last year? Did they do it last year? No, I, I think that they had something going this year to, you know, like. Oh, it's weird. So this is me sort of like just it, it taking off my, my universal cap and literally just having throwing ideas out as we converse. Um, I don't know. I'm so torn because I think actually this is an interesting subject for, uh, I don't know, entertainment slash the arts, whatever, in general. I mean, as far as like uh, whatever Universal would want to do for something like that, whatever they want to do is fine with me. You let me know, and, I, and I'm, I'm totally down for, for helping trying to make something like that happen, uh, whether they would choose to do something like that or not. On a personal level, um, I, it is interesting because we live in this world where people have a voice they didn't. Uh, do you guys, are any of you guys gamers at all? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, absolutely. so like the whole Mass Effect 3 thing, right? Going in and actually changing the ending because of fan uproar. Now, now we're kind of talking, that's kind of a negative uh, a response. I mean, it created a, a different thing. But I mean, it's interesting because do you want to open stuff up so that people feel like they have an ownership of whatever piece of art or entertainment's being created? Or do you, are you, are you want, is it more exciting to be like a Steve Jobs and say, I'm going to give you something you don't know you want, but when you see it, you go, how did I never, how did I not know that is exactly well, what I wanted? You know what I mean? I think with, I don't Mass, know. I, with Mass Effect, I mean, just to cut in, I think a lot of that was a result of them hyping up and promising something they couldn't deliver on and giving an ending that could have been anything. I mean, none of your choices really mattered at that point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, I, I don't know how they, that's a, they wrote themselves into a tough corner. I mean, like that, that's a situation that's, uh, I mean, I'm in the weird camp that because I played the game a bit later, I only experienced the changed version, and I, I really didn't have much of a, a problem with it because, well, actually, this does, if you take the expectation out of the equation, this does kind of play into what we're talking about, though. So if you're creating something like a Mass Effect and you go, I know the ending I want to tell, and we'll leave out the fact that their original ending was not that great. But so imagine you've got a good ending you want to tell. But that means at some point, even though you've given the choice to people of how to play, you have to force some kind of ending. Or you have to, you know, your story, you kind of have to, you kind of have to wedge in there somehow. Um, I mean, I'll take, you know, I'll reveal another layer of nerd. Blake has several years of playing D&D &D <laughs> as a kid and stuff. Um, and that was always the thing when you were a game master, a dungeon master, you know, you were trying to figure out, like, how do I make sure that you guys have free reign to do whatever you want? so that we tell a story together, but I also work to try to get you the best story that I can, which means sometimes I have to hide the fact that I'm holding your hand so that it takes you down a path for the best payoff. I don't know. I mean, I mean, oh my gosh, dude, we could do a whole show about this because this <laughs> sort of like choice and immerse and, and I love working in immersive storytelling. So this speaks to me directly because to me, that's all video games are. They're um, immersive storytelling. I enjoy a fun multiplayer and everything, but I'm much more the single. I like the story. And so, yeah, you want that agency of choice. And when you're doing immersive storytelling, you the stories around you and you're coming to life. It's, it's such a. I am excited to see where it goes because I have a feeling the questions that we're asking about how much input do you want or do you as an artist lay out this thing for people? I, it's so fascinating to me. And I, and I feel like there's a lot of changes and things coming. I think the theme park world in general is having an awesome renaissance right now showing how much people like that immersive story and being part of the story as opposed to a passive you know, viewer. 
but more of somebody that's actually in the middle of it. Yeah, and it, like with the scare zones, so you kind of have you guys are creating your own scare zones, so you have free reign. But then with something like Trick or Treat, you're working with an IP, right? So you're limited on what you can really do. Right. So you've got, uh, I mean, just like in the park, right? Like we've got we have Shrek. And you've got to there. There is a world that has been created that you've got to 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 hold together with that. Um, but you know, I've done a, a ton of improv, um, and actually, the house director too. He does a ton of stuff at SAC. Uh, Charles Gray. If you've never done improv before, people think you just kind of have this free reign to do whatever, right? It's improv, but actually. All the games or whatever you play for the entertainment version of, of improv actually has pretty strict rules. But when the rules are set up really well and you know your sandbox, it is easier to then go bananas within that realm. And sometimes the tighter the sandbox is, the, the better. Or you get, or it forces you into that sort of creative choice that you might not have seen if you kind of just could do anything you want. Um, so while sometimes... I, I, it can be looked at like, well, if you're working with an IP, that must be hard because you're doing. But, but in others, you you've got such a tight sandbox that you understand the rules in that you 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 have a little more. I find inspiration to to bounce around in that sandbox and have fun with it. I mean, like I said, we aren't doing a literal step by step representation of the film, so that in itself was like a fun change. It was like, hey, when we put up, you know, we're not really building all of Creek's house. We also don't want to. I mean, like, oh, would that be cool to literally build the entire neighborhood? Sure, that seems like overkill. But if you've got these sort of facades of these houses, the trees overhanging, the pumpkins that are only in parts of the film, but we've, you know, littered the entire zone with it, your brain subconsciously starts to understand that when, when if you were standing in the middle of it and I said to you, this is a fever dream of the film, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know? Uh, that quote, like you, you may not realize it, but your brain does when that kind of stuff happens. Um, it's, and sometimes I gotta tell you, it's a delight. Cause sometimes when you don't it, uh, invasion, for example, I then have to treat it like it's this IP that I'm creating and figure out the rules so tight so that we have the same sort of, uh, understanding of the story. Cause if I don't lay out the rules of who are the aliens, how do they work? Uh, do they breathe atmosphere? Do they need machines, whatever. That stuff all plays into what the designers will do. And the more specific I can be with that, the more specific they'll be and tend to even have cooler ideas they springboard off of um, from that. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. which kind of lets me I From the outside looking in, I think my biggest question this year is you probably can't answer it. Maybe you can. <laughs> and I won't say which property, but are you – how hard is it to deal with an actor that may or may not want to be involved? Uh, well, I don't have a personal experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's really uh, in the terms of, of dealing with, you know, any of the IPs that are, like whether it's Halloween or whether it's any of the things we have in the park, like Transformers or whatever. Um, it's, it's to be honest, it's just another one of those little things that defines the sandbox that you're playing in. And usually anytime there's something that's a challenge, I know it sounds cheesy, but that's usually where the best ideas come from. You end up doing something that you wouldn't have thought of because of the challenge. And so you may hate it while you're doing it. And, and then, but when it's up and running, you're like, man, I'm almost mad. That's like the best part <laughs> because we had to fight through this challenge, like to make, to make it work. Um, 
that's uh, I, ca- I call this like chaos surfing is, is what we do. That's <laughs> the, professionally um, because there are so many elements that, you know, that that play into it. I mean, because obviously we're not just doing this stuff. We also dealing with a park that is running operationally all day long as well. While we're trying to do all this, you know, other stuff as well, which presents its its own challenges and stuff. Um, but I mean, I know it kind of sounds like a like a the more you know sort of answer, but it it's kind of true. It can feel frustrating, but using the end, uh, whatever those challenges are, they tend to kind of help springboard the more creative ideas. I, I want to ask you about some of your other creative outputs, right? Not just horror nights, um, but you also write comics. Yeah, this was. Uh, this actually plays straight into my what I do at Horror Nights now, actually. Um, when I did HHN 25 as a, a performance coordinator, I knew that when I met people that I was working under, I, I, I loved the team. And it was, I mean, the work was creative and it was awesome. I thought, man, this creative development team, they do something new every year. Like, yes, you're doing Halloween again. But as you guys know, like, it's it's completely just different every time, you know? Um, and... I, that that was so exciting to me, and I had a ton of experience as a director, um, kind of a show creator, and I've written some scripts, but I always thought of myself as I, I would like the scripts that I write, but my problem was I had this tendency to direct them as I wrote them, which is the worst thing you can do for time, because here I've spent two hours and I've got a page and a half. Because I've edited and changed so much as I as I wrote, and I, I didn't I didn't have a background. Uh, whereas I had a background with uh, a foundation in directing and studying uh, performance and that kind of stuff, I, I did not have one for when it came to writing. Um, so after my experience in HHN twenty five and knowing that I was like I want to be part of this team, so I I have to make uh, me better. Um, so I will give a big shout out to a really cool company called Comics Experience, um, and then their website's comicsexperience.com. Uh, Andy Schmidt is the is the founder, and he used to be uh, editor at Marvel. He's the guy that created Guardians of the Galaxy in the form you know them uh, now. Uh, he oh, was okay. also like an editor responsible for the story arcs of like uh, uh, the original Civil War, things like that. Like he he worked on uh, all that stuff for, uh, uh, back in the day at Marvel. I guess not that far back in the day, but um, it, it's an online course. You hop on; it's a video class. Uh, they offered an intro to writing comic courses, and I, and I grew up. Uh, you know, we've been talking about all the influences. Here's another nerd cap was, uh, oh my gosh, I have so many comics as a kid. It was just ridiculous. Um, and I loved them and loved them and loved them because when you live in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Boonies, North Carolina, that you don't have a, a movie theater I could just stroll down to. And uh, cable didn't even get delivered to where I live. Right. We literally had the rabbit ears like that. That was it. Um, uh, comics were a, a huge world of escape for me. So I started, I said, well, hey, look, this looks fun. There's this comics experience thing. This guy who run, he's been running for years. He seems to, uh, he's got a cool background. The class is with him. It's only like 12 or 14 people deep. So it's like an eight-week course. Um, you meet once a week for like uh, two or three hours. So there's a lot of one-on-one attention. And I was like, what I liked is he's adamant about, uh, for those of you interested in joining the comic world, you need to understand comics are a collaborative effort. It is a rare situation that it's just you. If you can draw it and you can ink it and you can color it and you're good enough to write it and you're good enough to do the lettering uh, and you're good enough to package to get it published, there can't there aren't many people who actually can do all those things. 
Um, he's like, this is a, it's a collaborative effort. So part of what the class, the reason I signed up was you would write over the, and rewrite over the course of the class, uh, a short comic several times through feedback from your peers in the class, as well as your teacher. Um, and that is a skill that you can't get unless you just do it. I mean, to throw your heart on your sleeve and write something that you create originally and have people go, I don't understand this. Or, you know, I mean, that it's, it's, it is a scary thing. Um, and you can't get better at it until you just do it. I had a background of working collaborative already, so I was excited to get better at it. Um, and I was just hoping I would get a foundation in uh, it's something for me that I would s learn some rules for. Okay, if you've got a blank page, here's the things you can just start doing and get rolling, right? Because that was always kind of my problem. So when I interviewed uh, to be assistant show director for HHN 26 uh, with Mike Aiello, I, at one point in the interview, he said, "You know, what are you what are you up to, to now?" And I said, "Oh, oh, by the way, I'm taking this cool class, and I'm like three weeks in for I'm working. My comic's actually a western that I'm writing, and uh, da 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 da." And that's when I discovered how much of a comic book nerd Mike Aiello was, too. <laughs> so that, I probably was the best thing I could have thrown out of that interview, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was not to get into writing comics. It really was to just make my uh, – because, you know, in the parks, we, we write and, and develop things using storyboards and stuff. So the writing to comics just kind of made sense as a way to just make myself better. Um, it paid off for HHN and working for Universal, but – I did meet people through the class and I, I've actually started working on some stuff um, with a company called Big Wonder, uh, Big Wonder World Studio. Um, and right now uh, I've done some editing for them and I'm a few issues into a Western uh, called Monkeys with Guns. Uh, but we're, at production, we're not looking until like 2018. We're, we're kind of collecting artists and stuff right now. But it's cool because I've officially gotten a paycheck to write a comic. And if you'd have told me that when I was 10... I'd have freaked out like that. That's it's, it's been a, another cool thing that came out of wanting to work with these guys at universal. So I took this course and it has led to some other things I have been working on because of it. And so for, I, I know you said the comics aren't into production yet, but if folks want to check out, you know, um, news on them, that kind of thing is, uh, there a website of it. Well, I know there is, but what's the website that folks can go to? It, it's it's Big Wonder World Studio, but I'm gonna double check and make sure that that's the .com of the thing. Um, but you can um, you can find them on Twitter at Big Wonder, uh, and then the website is yes Big That is the website, and I've got a couple of articles up there right now about editing comics and stuff like that, and uh, one about doing some comic creation. They they also have articles uh, on the website right now as we are busy starting to crank the initial comics that are coming out um the first series is going to is this one called level six that's sort of about a, a, a it's a sort of an out, outbreak kind of story where a disease has kind of run rampant and, and um and people are, are dealing with what that's like um and uh and then the one i'm i was helping edit a dialogue for that um and the one i'm working on is called monkeys with guns which is just a rip roaring completely unrealistic western I, I, I was like, every trope we can do is just great. I'm like, all right, so in issue one, we got the barroom brawl. And then we're like, all right, let's go to issue two. Uh, as we're mapping this out, uh, I think we're silly if we don't start with the train robbery. Like, I mean, and it's so fun to lean into the tropes and then write these just crazy characters. They're all kind of, I don't even know if anti-heroes the word. They're, they're a bunch of 
rough folks. Um, and it's a ton of fun uh, to write. Uh, and, and Emily Ingram is the, the lady who's put all this together, uh, who's sort of the, the head of, of, of Big Wonder Studio. And she's awesome. She's from the UK. And, and our, our story, she lives out in San Diego. And our story meetings uh, online or through Skype are absolutely hysterical. She, she has got that British wit and just cracks me up. Well, is the and, goal to keep doing that like long term or, you know, to have that grow or is it satisfying well, as like a side thing? It's it is a right now I'm treating it as a side thing that I am letting kind of grow at its own pace, if that makes sense. Um, but what has been really cool see, and, and this taking this course at, at Comic Experience is great because I if you'd have told me how do you work in comics, I thought, well, you you live in New York and you write for Marvel, or you 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 live in like I guess, are they in Burbank now? I think, and you write for DC, yeah. and then wherever Dark Horse and Image are, I think that's San Diego's Image or I, like I I didn't know the realities where well in this modern age, like I've even taken now some lettering classes and stuff through uh through Comic Experience. No one has to be anywhere remotely near each other. She's my editor for the Western in uh, San Diego. I'm sitting here in Orlando writing. Our person doing the character sketches and concepts are, as I think, out of Hungary or, or maybe that was the colorist. I don't know. I mean, but everybody's from all over the place. And I didn't really understand that that's how the modern comic world worked. Um, so it is something that I, I want to keep doing because uh, knowing I don't want to say that it's uh, easy to do the work is the wrong. Right? It's, it's very hard to get in there and, and get people, especially as a writer, um, to get people to 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 you know pay you to spit out scripts. Um, but if you can get it going, um, you can do it literally from the comfort of your own home. Um, so it is definitely something I want to keep doing because I know that I will only get better as a creator the more I create. Um, and, and, and I've always been someone that's, uh, you know, like I said, I, I was a fight director, but I didn't want to be a fight director. I, I was important that I also do direction of theater. And then it was, I performed as an immersive actor and I was like, well, how do you create and direct this stuff? I want to know. So I feel like the more, uh, angles you do, it just opens up your perspective. Um, if you ever come to my house and I'm writing a comic, it's like Blake's insane. And he's doing his own improv show because when I crank out dialogue, I'm basically playing improv games with myself. And I sometimes will stop and go, that sounded crazy. As I just sat here (laughs) talking to myself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or yelling at myself uh, in my office trying to see if the dialogue actually sounds correct or not. That's cool. You're able to get out of that whole, you know, not being pigeonholed in one position. A lot of people can't do that. I, I don't think I could function that way. That, that like that, maybe that's my biggest fear. That's my personal horror movie would be just stuck in one thing. And you only do that. Um, because no matter how cool that thing is, which is why I say again, like I'm a storyteller, I'm a creator. That's what I want on the tombstone. Like that, what, and whatever different crazy ways we can create and tell stories that that's how I want to do it. Well, and to that end, the final thing I wanted to really talk to you about was the podcast. You're on a, you're on a podcast, not just this podcast, but, um, a, you are on a soccer and is it soccer and beer or is it soccer and there just happens to be beer it is podcast? A, it's a soccer and craft beer podcast. Um, it's called The Brutiful Game. Um, <laughs> see, see what we did there? Um, uh, and that's B-R-E-W-T-I-F-U-L, um, which, which thankfully my iPhone finally autocorrects that down. Um, but so every episode starts off with 
it's it's three of uh three of us uh, in the studio, and someone always brings a a craft beer or a beer of some variety that's a surprise for the other two guys. So you know, last night uh, it was it was my turn. Uh, I had a friend who used to be the brewmaster at the brew hub that opened up in Lakeland. So it's cool. I got a hold of some stuff he gave me that is about to be released. Um, so uh, I'll give a little history about the beer, where it's from, who made it, if we know that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we we try and kind of review a beer, basically, in the first, like, 15 minutes of the podcast. And then we go into uh, discussing soccer. And this all came from – I wrote an article uh, a few years ago for a, a soccer – online soccer thing talking about – the rise of craft beer and the current rise of soccer have a ton of parallels in that if you looked at uh, the beer world, like Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors were like the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, there are a lot of similarities. It's a very small group of fans, whether it's craft beer or soccer, that were very passionate. And their passion infected other people on a grassroots level, and it's grown and grown and grown. Um, I was here down in Orlando. like Everybody's got a Orlando City magnet on the back of their car or whatever um and and now you can get craft beer anywhere i mean i remember when i first moved to orlando in 03 and i was excited if guinness was on tap like because it's like was about it um and now we've got amazing breweries here so it all that i wrote this article and i called it the brutal game um and that sort of was the impetus for it um uh, a good friend of mine uh kept saying you know we we will sit around and watch english premier league soccer have a couple beers and talk and man I feel like half the stuff we say is better than like half the podcast I've heard about soccer. We, and he kept saying, and he kept saying we should do it. And then one day he just walked by me and like dropped a content note in my lap and was like, Hey man, uh, let's, uh, like we could talk about this. Now I'd like to tell you, this dude is not a performer. Um, and he has a stutter. And I thought if this guy who doesn't perform on a regular basis and has a stutter and he is like, why don't we do this? I literally, I didn't say a word to him pulled up my phone because I'd already done the research and I ordered microphones. I ordered everything we needed. And it was like, Hey guys, English premier league soccer ends next Sunday. Come to my house. We'll have breakfast. We'll watch the games. And then we're going to talk about them afterwards. And, and and that literally was like the impetus. I was like, if this guy's like, let's do this, let's do this. You know, like I was like, why, why, why aren't we? Um, and that was about a, a little over a year ago. We're up to episode 66. I just finished editing before I, I talked to you gentlemen. Um, and it's a ton of fun because it's probably a it's probably a soccer craft beer slash comedy podcast at this point, um, especially if my team is playing terrible and I get angry and I go on rant. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it, yeah, we, we have a ton of fun with it, man. And just uh, we try to treat it as if you are somewhere and 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 you wish you had friends you could crack a beer with and chat soccer because maybe it's not big in your area. Well, you can hang out with the guys from the Brutal Game and 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 do that. So that that's kind of that's kind of been our uh, impetus, and it's nice because we're all three uh, super busy, uh, and it gives us an excuse that once a week we get to see each other and hang out and crack a beer and talk a little talk a little bit uh, soccer. So just even on a personal friendship level, I'm so glad we do it. But we we have a lot of, a lot of fun with the show, and our listeners are tons of fun on Twitter and Facebook, uh, chatting with them and stuff. So. I mean, and, and you guys, I mean, you, you've got a show it, that it's, that's to me, one of the coolest things, the, the people that you're like, I don't know you, but you've been listening to me and now we're talking to each other and you're asking questions and stuff. It's such a cool thing. It is. I mean, we enjoy chatting with people that we don't normally chat with. And for me, I enjoy chatting with these guys every week or two. Uh, I think right now we're kind of biweekly. 
So, you know, Brutiful Game, I'm going to put the link to Brutiful Game. I'm going to put the big link to Big Wonder and all that stuff in the show notes uh, on oh, iTunes. you're awesome. Thanks, IOM Geek, um, all that stuff. Um, so last, definitively last question from me. Pumpkin beer, yay or nay? Uh, specifically, Southern Tier, Pung King. That's the best one. Wow. Southern, Southern I think Tier that's brewery. actually my least favorite pumpkin beer. <laughs> really? I yeah, love we're on the other that. end of the spectrum. I, I Good love Lord. the uh, shipyard is my Good favorite. Lord. Oh, oh the, do you know what's really funny? That's my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> they were like the yin and yang of this pumpkin beer situation. <laughs> the anti-Kyle. <laughs> that's that's so funny. I, I love punk, and I do like their uh, warlock. Their I think it's a porter that's got yeah. the pumpkin chunks, and it's good. But yeah, Southern Tears Punk King at this current time is <laughs> is my favorite. And historically, the one Dogfish Head makes is just cool because I don't think we'd have any pumpkin beers if they hadn't started the whole fad off in the first place. And Nathan, good gourd. Who makes good gourd? Cigar City. Yes, I would say Cigar City, right? Yeah. Okay. Really good. Yeah, which I was hanging out at World of Beer to watch U.S. Men's National Team last night, and I, I had one of those there. Also a good beer. Good gourd? Yeah. That's already at World of Beer? Uh, yep. Good the one the, Yep, yep. The, at least the one here at Dr. <laughs> Phillips. In our, or, but they had it. Nathan's getting in his car now. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a great time of year. Halloween and uh, all the fall beers. I think right now my collections are all uh, either pumpkin beers or Oktoberfest. That's what's on in the beer fridge right now. I love this time of year. Oh, yeah. The only thing Halloween Horror Nights gets in the way of for me is I still have to figure out how I'm going to take my must-bucket like list trip to uh, Germany and actually go to Oktoberfest. It's just kind of at a terrible time of the year for me. Yeah. It's a, it's a dream trip, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a bucket list. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you are starting Halloween Horror Nights on the official day that Oktoberfest starts, September 16th. Yep. Wow, that was that was actually a good transition. Hey, so wow, Halloween it's like Horror we planned Nights. that. <laughs> yeah, right? It wasn't. It starts uh, September 16th. Go out, um, talk back on this episode uh, about the scare zones, what you think of them. Blake, thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. This was an awesome conversation. We appreciate you being open with us and uh, and chatting with us tonight. Absolutely, man. And and if you, uh, you know, you guys, I know we're, we we're followed each other on Twitter, but I'm just on there as at Blake Braswell. It's got my ugly mug up there as a picture. If any, <laughs> you guys see me walking along the streets, please stop. Say hello. And, and and if you've got any more questions, because we've officially opened, maybe I can answer a few more things. I'm more than happy to answer. So, you know, say hey, man. I'll be floating around the streets until November 4th. For sure, man. Sounds good. All right. So we're back. No more special guests here. It's sink or swim time. Just back to the Four Hauntsmen. But we do have a bunch of Halloween Horror Nights news to talk through. Um, since the last time that we were together, um, we had a series of houses announced. We had uh, the last IP house announced, which is the Horrors of uh, Blumhouse. And then we had four original properties announced as well. So I guess we should talk about uh, Horrors of Blumhouse a little bit. Excitement. Yeah, I'm excited about that one. Uh, you know, it's got Insidious, it's got Sinister, it's got The Purge. I'm, for me, I, you know, I, I don't know about The Purge because you've already got the scare zone, but Sinister, I, I mean, they could make the whole house Sinister and I'd just be happy. Yeah, I mean, Bagul. Bagul. We want, we want all Bagul. Every room, Bagul. All Bagul, all the time. I mean, even though that second Sinister movie is terrible, I'll just ignore it. 
Just focus on the first one. There's a Do second you... one? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there is. <laughs> there is. <laughs> I'm you... I had no idea. <laughs> Do you think there's like a, a scene with the tree out in the backyard with like hanging? Well, so where is the, the Blumhouse house going to be? It's the it's the pop up behind Ooh. Men in Black. Uh, then probably not, right? Because you probably need something tree. tall. It's a short tree. <laughs> Char- Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> they cast really short people in that house. We need more Sams in the Blumhouse. I repeat, we need more Sams in the Blumhouse. <laughs> so yeah, I'm kind of excited by it. You know, um, Insidious. Okay, you know, I think we were all happy with Insidious. Yeah, um, Sinister yeah. for sure. So here's the thing about Insidious. At least Insidious has a bunch of different characters you can use, right? It's it's visually interesting. You've got all the different kinds of ghosts. So I think that's a good choice anyway. Although the new one looks really bad. The new movie looks really bad. And, you know, while, we're, while we were recording this, they announced that there's a new Purge movie coming out oh, uh, next year, next July 4th. It's called The Purge Island, and it's uh, on Staten Island. Like that what? island. What? Okay. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my god. That is hilarious and awesome and now I can't wait to see it. Is it like <laughs> the purge versus the mafia? <laughs> it is a prequel. It's like the it's about the first purge on Staten Island. <laughs> That's amazing, oh dude. Oh my god, dude. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not going to be in the house. It says but... it says purge the island heads to Brooklyn in the article that I just clicked. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Brooklyn, Staten Island. Yeah, it's, Jersey. All, it's all the same. It's all that logical progression. Oh yeah, but then the article says stat on, set on Staten Island. That's that's funny, dude. I guess they've moved from Brooklyn to Staten Island at that point. They yeah. were just before they moved people, to Jersey. People from Staten Island. So it only takes place in Staten Island, so people can head to Brooklyn for a safe haven, basically. Is uh, it uh, situated on the the former dump? I don't know. I I just want the Purge Disney World. That's all I want. <laughs> I want the Twitter oh. Purge. Oh my god, dude! But anyway, um, Blumhouse, you know, Purge into Blumhouse. Um, it, 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 let me put it this way: sixty-six percent of the house is really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, the Purge. I think. Uh, I, don't, I think we're. I'm, I'm. I don't know about you guys. I'm looking forward to this new movie now, given the concept. But I'm purged out in general. Yeah, I don't no, need that much I'm, purge. I'm with you. You know, I said I, this. I said this like two years ago or so that I feared that the purge was going to become kind of like the new Walking Dead, where it's just something that's cheap and easy, and uh, you know, it's going to get eyes on their product no matter what. And now you see with another movie coming out next year. I mean, it's almost guaranteed to come back again in some form or capacity next year. I would imagine as well. So, well, it's in the streets of New York already. So. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see. Yeah, the purge is in the zone. They'd be like, hey. I'm talking to you. Get over here. Hey, what are you, what are you talking to me, wise guy? Hey, come on. I have like hot dog carts set up in the street. Yes. That's offensive. <laughs> I think three out of four Hauntsmen are from New York, so. <laughs> and one of them actually lived in Staten Island for years. That's, that's yeah. uh, you know. That's, I mean, Staten Island is basically like the purge already anyway. <laughs> I wonder what the budget was for spray paint for the purge portion of that house. <laughs> I don't know. Every Lowe's in the county must be out. <laughs> oh, God. 
So what I'm looking forward to, though, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm looking forward to Hires of Blumhouse. I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited about it. But I think out of all the houses they've announced, uh, I think at least three of the four original property houses, I'm like genuinely excited about. I'd, I'd actually go for solid four. I'm really excited about all of them. Yeah, me See, too. I don't know about Hive. I don't know enough about Hive. Well, uh, I mean, they, they had a, they had to conjure up something to put over there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they know what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but I think that they, you know, it, the, the replacement for this year, you know, and if folks that don't know, you know, like there's times that things don't work out with plans um, for for properties that that the team is working with here, um, I think that you know putting that original property in there, Hive, you know they they saw that there was success or interest with vampires last year in Vamp Fifty Five, but they've made it clear that this year um, Hive is not a campy property. It's it's kind of like hardcore um, Nosferatu type vampires, um, but set in like a kind of an eighties setting. So. I, that, I would say as far as hardcore goes, that the actors that are in that house all had to shave their heads to work their roles this year. And we have oh. you know, we have buddies that are scare actors in that house that they're bald. They're, they're bolder than me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Which they also did that in the past for the Havoc houses. So it's not something that's like new, but it's yep. usually a pretty dedicated cast to have people do that. So, yeah. Um, Meanwhile, on my scalp. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as I've I've heard from people that are in the house or know people that are in the house, that it, it sounds like it's going to be pretty genuinely scary. Um, you know, like, you know, when we had the Purge house a couple of years ago, that was kind of like a last minute-ish replacement. You know, like it did happen like in late July, I believe, where it's like this kind of – we knew this was the case – very early this year. So they had a lot of time to figure out new stuff. So I'm not going to write this one off. I'm kind of excited to see it, especially considering that I've heard it's actually like one of the scarier houses. Um, so I just, you know, th- like I said, they had to conjure up something and it sounds like they got something good from what I've heard. So, yeah, I, you know, and next up, I think, you know, Scarecrow, the reaping. So it's kind of like a depression era um, farmhouse. My understanding is that there's um, corn growing on site. Hmm. Um, you know, it's really immersive. Um, I'll be honest, like scarecrows scare the hell out of me. I know? love scarecrows, yeah. It, it's, From that standpoint. Know, yeah, I mean, much more than like, you know, even like a demon or a vampire. You know, I, you know, just like evil scarecrows, you know, there's just something about them, I think. I, I'm really, really looking forward to that house. Yeah, that one I think I'm that is probably one of my tops just because I love Scarecrow so much that, that, you know, imagery. Um, and I, I, I keep bouncing off off subject um, because, you know, speaking of Scarecrows, did you guys see that uh, Tuesday, September 26th is um, one night only event Jeepers Creepers three? <laughs> no. Why did they choose part three? Well, is it, it's a new movie, I believe. No? It's a new movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the new, the new Jeepers Creepers is a one night, a one day only event. Well, it's funny because once you mentioned Scarecrows, once you mentioned Scarecrows, all I could think of is that scene. I, th- I don't know if it's the first Jeepers Creepers or the second when he's up on the post and you know, like he turns his head and stuff. Like that always creeped me the hell out. Yeah, that was the second one. Yeah, I guess I saw both of them. 
because I remember that. I, I, yeah. I can't remember, like, what – as soon as they get past, like, two, I can't remember that, anything. Like, that, to me, genuinely is, like, one of those good, campy, early 2000s horror movies. You know, like, yeah. I don't really think it, it's something that I could foresee coming to Halloween Horror Nights, but if it did, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I think, you know, given the issues with the director, and we don't need to go into them here, but look it up. <laughs> um I, you know, it's the reason it's only a one-day event and not a wide theatrical release. Um, I, I, I think I get why it's a one-day-only event. I'm still very curious about it. I like the first two movies, and you know, to Drew's point, the fact that it's you know the the, the scarecrow stuff at the beginning of the second one. Yeah, I, I, I love that stuff. I'm really looking forward to the scarecrow house and the pictures that they've shown from it look awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everything looks awesome about it. I even I I like the logo too. I yeah. think it looked, everything looks cool. Looks like a movie logo. Yeah. Yeah, dude. You know, we've got two left here um, out of the two. Um, probably the next hyped up one, and I'm I'm sure folks are probably thinking this is the number one hype thing, is Dead Waters. And Dead Waters is kind of, um, you know, a, a unique property in the sense that it, it's taken from the scare zone from uh, 24? Four, 24. Yeah, kind of that, that uh, bayou... Um, <laughs> haunted zone with the bayou the of blood yeah so making it into a house this time um I've, I've heard nothing but amazing things so far from anyone that's been involved with um the dead waters project you know whether it's the the acting piece or um, other components i mean it it's the you know at least hype level uh, you know on a 10 scale for me i think you know people have put it beyond a 10 at this point I think this is going to be like this year's ghost town where it's going to be just amazing to look at, but I don't know. I'm hoping that it's more, you know, it's a little scarier than ghost town. Like ghost town was incredible to walk through, but I just never, I didn't like the campy characters in it. I, I didn't think it really fit the way that the house was designed. Um, but if they could have like, like a scary environment with those type of settings, like you could be looking at one of the greatest houses of all time, potentially. Um, and some of the things that, you know, if you read some of the press releases, there's little things sprinkled in there that, you know, don't really get talked about where there's going to be rooms where the floor is going to be kind of like soft, like that playground, like that wet playground type floor. So it's going to feel like you're walking through like a swamp almost. And it sounds like it's going to have the room, um, from the forsaken where the boat was tilted, where, you know, the the crashed riverboat here. It appears to be tilted, so uh, the house just sounds like an incredible amount of loving care went into it. Kind of like when Blake was talking about the invasion scare zone, how it just sounded like there's so many things from top to bottom that are gonna you're never gonna notice everything. It kind of sounds like how this is gonna be the house uh, that goes along with that. It 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 just seems really good. Um, as far as the, I, I don't know which one I'm looking forward to more: Dead Waters or Scarecrow at this point. But um, last but not least is The Fallen. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, eternally good versus eternal evil, Um, you know, in one setting. And we know that, you know, at least the hype around this is that we're going to see multiple types of scares, like things, you know, kind of either flying or from up above um, and kind of different components that we've seen in houses of years past, but nothing all that recent. For anyone that's been through Gothic at Halloween Horror Nights 22, 
I'm basically imagining that it's going to be some kind of like angels and demons in that kind of setting. And to me, that sounds absolutely incredible. Um, something that I had heard months ago was that the the soundtrack to this house was kind of kind of be like a heavy metal rock. Uh, and judging by the little trailer video that they released, it kind of it kind of felt like it a little bit. So I'm curious to see how that goes with it, if that's the case, because that also sounds all kinds of awesome to me. Same. You're basically going to be in the middle of like an Avenged Sevenfold music video. It's like in my head is like the way this. Oh, oh, there is a god. Oh, what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He's there for you. Uh, <laughs> Let's get gotta wear your flannel shirt to that, Nathan. I, I don't think I have enough fast passes or front of the lines for that one. Oh. <laughs> Paul, any thoughts on the fallen? You know, I um I I think it's gonna be visually awesome. Um I, I think there's a lot there's gonna be they, they seem like for me, I, I I'm curious to see what the creatures look like. It, this for me, this is the the entire house for me is riding on. Are the creatures going to be interesting? Because it's it's clearly going to be visually amazing, based on the images they've shown, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I wonder if it is angels versus demons. How are they going to look? That kind of thing. Um, we'll probably won't know until next week, uh, sometime. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I like the gothic stuff. I I was not there at Halloween Horror Nights 22. I think that was. One, I missed 22 and 23. I went to that one. That's right. But, um, but I, you know, they've used um, some of that, that castle theming either in the Dracula house. Hmm. Um, and and I'm, I'm not referring to Dracula Untold. I'm referring to the, to the, the good the, Dracula. The, the good Dracula house. <laughs> um, that kind of thing. So, I, I, and that was a, a pretty awesome house. That's one of the first houses that ever, like, really shook me. That, like... It was intense. Yeah, that was uh, 17? Well, that was 19. 19. That was when they did the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein were like the three soundstage houses, but it was all kind of reimaginings of all of them. Yeah. Hmm. So is the rumor true? Hmm? Oh, go ahead. I was say, is the rumor true then about the Angels Demons house replacing the uh, Schwarzenegger movie house? <laughs> Schwarzenegger movie house? Yeah, in the days. <laughs> it's the Constantine house. <laughs> hey, hey, I liked End of Days. I own it on DVD. They used to play some of the soundtrack for End, I own end of Days. Disc. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the End of Days soundtrack used to play at uh, Halloween Horror Nights like 20, I believe, when they had Fear. Like his theme song was from End of Days. Was it really? It yeah. wasn't that Guns N' Roses song, was it? <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> it, was some, it was some orchestra type music. I, one of the sites, I believe it's Horror Nights Nightmares, always has like the complete soundtrack. Like people do the research and find what movies you know the music's from and stuff. And that was one of them. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So, I, I, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I was going to say. So yeah, I'm excited about all of the uh, all the five all five houses that we talked about. I'm not excited about all nine houses. But all five that we talked about today, I'm excited for. Yeah, I'm I'm way excited about the uh, the original properties. That's for sure. I, I think the original properties are probably like in my top four. You know, like if I had to rank the nine that I'm really looking forward to, I feel like the, the top four would be the four original houses. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you know, none of the none of the IPs really do it that much for me this year as far as the houses go. Not not that I'm not looking forward to them, but they're just nothing really grabs me this year where I'm like totally stoked for it just yet. They didn't grab that man. They did not grab this man. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> they grabbed that man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for our, like, this is a super, super sized um, episode. And I think that, you know, when we started this out, we said that we were going to keep things between 45 minutes to an hour. But I think um, in light of having a couple special guests that um, we didn't do something last week um, and intentionally kind of held things over this week so that we'd have like a longer episode. So we cram everything in here. And I think this is probably the last time you'll hear from us until... Halloween Horror Nights opens, and we'll have some feedback on the event itself. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, download it, listen to it on the flight down to uh, to Florida, or, or the drive, drive down. Over. <laughs> or just drive over. 15-minute <laughs> drive. <laughs> I'm just going to sit in the car here and listen to in the parking lot, listen to the rest of this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you can listen to it while you're in Stay and Scream. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> while you're in line to get into that American st- Horror Story house. Oh yeah, you can you can listen <laughs> yeah. to this podcast like four times while you're in line. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, plugs. Got got anything going on, Paul? Oh my goodness, I I wasn't even thinking about plugs. Um, no, I don't really have any plugs right now. Uh, you know, we will uh, see you guys next week. Um, we'll be at Halloween Horror Nights all weekend. Uh, IOM Geek will be there, um, and uh, we'll be there opening night. We'll be there Saturday night. And uh, we'll probably be talking about some pumpkin beer at some point in the future, too. This is true. True. I think the only plug I have is to, to pull the plug on this show because it's been going entirely too long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nathan. I'm uh, I'm getting my oil changed on Friday and watching it. So it's about all the excitement in my life. <laughs> Excellent. All right, and for me, uh, only plug, I'm going to actually plug the YouTube channel uh, for once and just say, you know, we'll be at Halloween Horror Nights, at least the first two nights um, for opening. Um, And we actually have, hopefully, um, hurricane permitting. We'll be up in North Carolina for the Land of Oz. They do an annual event. Uh, Myself and Paul will be up there, um, hopefully, Friday night and Saturday. Um, and then back to deal with the hurricane. But um, good content coming up. Lots of horror stuff. So if you guys are interested, feel free to check it out. Um, that's it. What's this hurricane you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> hurricane Billy. <laughs> hurricane Er, my gird. <laughs> so, Paul? All right, folks. Well, hey, thanks again for joining us. We will see you next week. Talk back at iomgeek.com, YouTube channel, Leave us a review on iTunes. All of it's appreciated. All of it's good. Oh, and uh, hit us up on Twitter, at 4Hauntsman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.